so uh, again, for the past few weeks, I've just been um, uh, just doing some, in- I usually teach by series, but we're just hitting it one at a time. I call it standalone. So uh, uh, today I want to talk about the oldest feast in the world, and we're going to receive communion uh, today. So you should have gotten a little vial with the juice and the bread. If not, we'll give you an opportunity before we give it. But I'm going to talk about this oldest feast in the world. You know, God often speaks. You know, God speaks in concepts because he wants us to understand him very well. And spiritual things can be so indistinct because they're not visible. They're invisible. But how many know the visible things were made by invisible things? So, you know, God uses all kinds of uh, symbols and and, uh, metaphors and and analogies to explain who he is and how he works with us. And this oldest feast in the world, the Passover feast, is an analogy of how God deals with us and how he speaks to us. In fact, what's really interesting to me is Revelation. I'm teaching through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. Uh, You know, a couple of times a month we hit Revelation, then we do other things as well. But nonetheless, um, Revelation 13 Jesus is called the lamb slain, and what really grabs me, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The foundation means the beginning, the, con- the conceptualizing of God creating a planet and, and then making an environment uh, for uh, life, plant life, animal life, human life, and, 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 then, and, and then God working with the life on this planet and the beings he created in his image He called Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, God put put inside of all of us an ability to make choices. And that's what's so cool about God. He doesn't force. He doesn't connive. He allows you to be who you are. Isn't that great? He could have made us like robots, you know. Now now robot, the robotic industry is cranking up, you know, and you can see videos of these robots that do all this stuff, but they're programmed. He didn't want you programmed. He wanted us to be free, to live life, to think our thoughts, to do what we want to do in fellowship with him. Because of that, Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, God knew that if he gave us an ability to do what we want to do, we, we could do the wrong thing. And God, in his foreknowledge, he saw that we would do the wrong thing. He, he saw that the first man, Adam, would sin and break fellowship with God for the entire race he created for fellowship with him. So Jesus is the lamb slain. What is that saying? God created our redemption, had our redemption in mind before he ever made us. What does that tell you about you? I don't care where you're at. I don't care how low you go. God's always had you in his mind. I don't care how bound you may feel. God's had your your deliverance from that, your freedom from that in his mind. Since before he even created the first human. Isn't that awesome? So again, Passover feast, uh, 35 centuries old, somewhere around that. 3,500 years. It's the oldest religious feast in the world, there's a lot we can glean from our spiritual life when we look at that feast. So uh, I've just simply got six things for us to know about that feast. Can we read the Bible a little bit? So number one, Jesus died during uh, the time of the year the Israelites celebrated the Passover feast. And uh, it was also, it works in conjunction. Actually, it's the first day of the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So look at Luke 22, 7. 
And we'll read a few verses there. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread, this is New Living Translation, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. You know, I was, I was preparing for this. You know, this had been going on for like, like uh, 14 centuries prior to Jesus and his disciples doing it. It had been going on a long time. And so it says, um, so we can eat together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. Question, stop right there. How did Jesus know that ahead of time? Jesus, Jesus had no ability, and this is what the scriptures teach, and a lot of people don't realize, Jesus didn't do anything that's not available to a Christian today. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't use his God ability or his God office as a human. He lived as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't perform his first miracle until a wedding at Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2 when he turned water into wine, which is nothing like the juiced up stuff people drink today, okay? So get over that. Nonetheless, nonetheless, um, how did he know that? The Holy Spirit. It's called the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. It's available to Christians today. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about nine spiritual gifts, verses 8 through 10. And one of them is the word of wisdom where God shows you just a little bit of something that's going to happen in the future. The word of knowledge is where God shows you something that is happening right now. Jesus, Jesus saw the room. He saw them going up, speak to somebody about a room. He saw it all. He told them what he saw. The Holy Spirit showed it to him. Same thing's available to you when you need it. How many hear me? Verse 13, they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves for I will not eat wine, uh, drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some of the bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this. Uh, in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice uh, for you. So again, Jesus uh, uh, had the Passover feast with the disciples and that Passover feast is a symbolism. It's a type and shadow of what Jesus came to do for us. And he was simply trying to show them exactly what they had been doing all over their lives as annually they celebrated this Passover feast. Then the apostle Paul, my second point, Paul refers to the Passover feast and it's meeting 1 Corinthians 11. And he took it right here from Jesus and his uh, disciples eating the Passover feast. The apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it then he broke it in pieces and said this is my body which is given for you do this to remember me in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood do this to remember me as often as you drink it 
For every time you eat this bread, bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death till he comes. So, so there, there Jesus and the apostle Paul, he equates, he equates that Passover feast with what Jesus came to do. And that's extremely significant. So, so you know, you've, some, of, some of us have been raised in church. I uh, jokingly say I cut my teeth on church benches. I've been, I've been in church. I remember wearing a diaper to church. And I remember uh, communion. I couldn't take it as a kid until I was born again. They wouldn't allow me in the, in the Baptist church I was raised in. But I always saw the communion. A lot of people take communion not understanding the deep significance of, and meaning behind the bread and the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. So let's talk about it. So again, the Passover feast, 3,500 years ago, God protected the Israelites uh, from a death angel that came, and it's when they were delivered from Egypt. So let's talk about that a little bit. For, you know, um, more than 400 pe- uh, years, the Jewish people lived in Egypt. They came to Egypt during the time of Joseph, if you remember. There was a huge famine in the Middle East during the time of Joseph and uh, Joseph's brothers. He had a bunch of brothers who didn't like him. He was favored by his father and mother, and they sold him into slavery, and he found himself in Egypt. And bottom line, after a period of years, Joseph became basically prime minister of Egypt. He interpreted, you remember, the Pharaoh's dream, and he, 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 but the bottom line of the dream was there were going to be seven years of terrible famine, and God showed the Pharaoh through Joseph how to, how to, how to save all of Egypt from starvation during the famine. And during that time, uh, Joseph's family, the Israelites, they came, they came into Egypt and they stayed there, believe it or not, for 400 years. The Pharaoh was very kind to Joseph and his, and his father and his brothers. But, but, once, uh, but once Joseph died, a few generations went by, uh, the uh, Egyptians began to really be mean towards and, and, treat, uh, and treat the Israelites with great contempt. And they actually became slaves. And the Israelites actually helped Egypt build their huge kingdom. It was a huge kingdom at the time, amassing lots of property, lots of land. They built lots of buildings. And they used the Israelites to do that. And by the time Moses came, you know, 400 years later at Moses' birth, it was so bad. And the uh, Israelites were multiplying so profusely that the Pharaoh of the time said, I want you to kill every firstborn, two years old and under. And, uh, and Moses was born during that time, and he was such a beautiful child that his mother uh, found a basket, put some tar around the exterior of the basket, placed it in the Nile River, and said, I don't want my boy, I don't want my boy to die. And she na- named him Moses, which means to draw out. And he actually was drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses' life was spared, and he was... Uh, and he was skilled in all of the learning and skill of the Egyptians. He was actually trained to be a Pharaoh, 40 years of age. You know the story. Moses killed um, uh, one of the Egyptians for assaulting one of his Hebrew uh, brothers and uh, hit him in the sand, was found out. And for 40 years, Moses was in the desert at 80 years of age. So 80 years after Moses was born, God appeared to Moses and said, I'm going to use you just like your mother drew you out of water. Out of the water, you're going to draw the Israelites out of bondage. And I, I'm going to use you to go to the Pharaoh. 
and tell him to let my people go. Well, uh, I just read a really fascinating um, excerpt of the gods of the Egyptians. Every, and so there were 10 plagues that were enacted against the gods of the Egyptians through the hands of Moses. Every one of those plagues caused the, gods of the, the people to see that the gods of the Egyptians were absolutely useless. If you're worshiping any person other than Jesus Christ, it is useless. It is powerless. And uh, so the very last plague was the death of the firstborn. I said, oh, let's say that. And that's what the Passover feast is all about. So the fourth point, we're going to get through this quickly today. You good? Celebrates God protecting the Jews from the death angel uh, by the blood of a lamb being applied on the front doorpost and the lintel, which is right over the front door of their home. A lamb was sacrificed. Blood was applied. So the death angel, when he saw the blood, he would pass over the Israelites when he came to kill the firstborn of Egypt. That last plague was the firstborn of animals and the firstborn of all humans in Egypt will die. And God said to the uh, Israelites, and let's read it here in Exodus chapter 12, just a few verses. Now the Lord spoke, everybody good? Just thought we'd read the Bible some today. You good? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, this is New King James Version, in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. Now God changed the, Jewish, the beginning of the Jewish year with his feast. And there was a reason for that. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb. Everybody say a lamb. Significant for a household. And if the household's too small for the lamb, let him, him and his neighbor, neighbor next to him, um, to his house, take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. Shall you make the count for the lamb? Everybody say the lamb. And then lastly, say your lamb. See, it changed from a lamb, the lamb, to your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, just as the sun goes down. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. They shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat of it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the, lamb, uh, the land of Egypt. So again, number five, fifth point. See how fast we're going today? The lamb was the center of this Passover feast. And again, um, it, this feast and its memory uh, towards the Jews, it, it, it required three symbolic foods to be eaten on Passover night. The first one was the lamb, that's the center 
of, of the feast was the lamb itself. And then there was unleavened bread, matzah bread. You can find it in the grocery store. It has no leaven. It's flat. And uh, it has little holes in it. And uh, it's, uh, it typifies Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus was the lamb without spot, without, without sin, without leaven. How many hear me? Unleavened bread and then bitter herbs. And so again, the lamb had to be roasted in fire, not boiled in water. The fire represents judgment. So the lamb had to be judged. And I'll talk about that again in just a second. Then the unleavened bread was to be eaten and it symbolized the purity of the sacrifice. And again, once they, once they had the Passover feast, then there's the feast of unleavened bread for the next week uh, throughout the land of Israel. And during the feast, I mentioned this last week, during the feast of unleavened bread, every day the Israelites was, were to go through and make sure their houses were completely clean and spotless, that there was no, that there was no leaven or impurity in their homes and they celebrated and they ate unleavened bread all week long to symbolize that God wants us, he, he has made available purity of life. It started with the sacrifice of the lamb. Hmm. And then bitter herbs, third thing in that feast, Passover feast, bitter herbs, perhaps endive, uh, perhaps uh, chicory, or don't go in your yard and eat these dandelions. There might be some dogs around or something. I wouldn't do that. Anyway. <laughs> bitter herbs. Uh, anyway, they were eaten as a reminder of the suffering of the, la- the lamb would experience. And again, um, that lamb died in the place of the firstborn of the family. So the bitter herbs represented the suffering, the bitter, the bitter cup that the lamb, so to speak, had to swallow. He had to give his life uh, so that the people in the family uh, could live. And again, this lamb sacrifice that night it kept judgment from falling on each individual family notice again the lamb had to be without blemish and without spot this is probably not a, a great reminder but I was in uh, it made me think about this story I was in uh, I don't know I think it was 1999 I was in uh, I was in Calcutta India and I was in the in uh, the, the uh, Kali temple Kali in Hinduism is the goddess of destruction, and that's what Calcutta is named for. Now it's Kukata. It's an old, old name. And uh, anyway, I went in that. I was just looking through, you know, the tourists could go along with everybody in there, putting laser. Let me just say that Kali is a nasty idol. She has her tongue sticking out, red tongue, a bunch of arms, just nasty. And, uh, you know, so people were there, were the, the priests were there burning incense, and they're laying their flowers. But then I went around to the back, they led us around, and there were just hundreds of people. It was just nuts. And went around to the back of the temple, and right in the back of the temple, there was, a, there was a, a, like a pool of water, just nasty, brine-looking water, nasty. And, uh, but then I looked over here behind a fence, and here, was a, and here were two goats. Now, they could have a lamb or a goat here, and uh, up to a year old, it said. And, uh, and here were two goats. And I, I just, I said, well, looky, looky. They got two, and, and the goats were wet. They had just cleaned them. And see, everything God does, the devil wants to mimic. Huh? You think you're free doing what you want to do, but it's a mimic of the real. So, uh, you know, anyway. And then they chopped the goat's head off, took the blood, and they put the blood on their idol. Now, it's, you know, it's just crazy. It's the, the, the devil's a liar. He's a cheat. 
And, uh, you know, he tries to pantomime what God would do. Nonetheless, here was a lamb without blemish, without spot. That lamb without blemish is like the Lord Jesus. Jesus was absolutely perfect, pristine, and pure. The other thing about that lamb, uh, the tenth day of the month, he said, take a lamb or a goat up to one year old, and, uh, and you're going to keep it in your house for four days. Now, you know, you got to think about this a little bit. Most of us are not agrarian. We got some people in the church who may have a couple of goats or whatever. Most people don't or sheep. But, you know, if you've been around cultures that have that, it's really pretty cool. I was in uh, Ethiopia, and um, just to tell the story and make it stick, um, I was sleeping in a thatch-roofed hut. Uh, some of my friends have been there with me and uh, anyway got up the next morning and, and and the little goats they let the little tiny goats out I mean this little baby goats I, they weren't I bet they weren't man month two months old at most those little things these little guys were fro- fro- I actually liked them they were fro- they're mean when they grow up but uh, when they were young they were frolicking around the yard jumping around and they'd come up to you and act like they want to play yeah I said well this is so cool these little goats I like this little guy I could be his friend, but when they grow up, they get really mean, and they'll butt you with their head. Anyway, I was thinking about that because um, God told the Israelites, you take a year-old goat or sheep, and, uh, and, and you keep it in your house for four days. You know what happened during those four days? Those kids fell in love with that goat. I mean, just think about it. They probably gave it a name. Here, goaty, 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 you know, here, let's eat, you know feeding him and giving him some water and hanging out with him and letting him sit on their lap. And then mom and daddy come and pet the goat's uh, head, knowing full well, four days later, something bad's going to happen to that goat. Can you imagine how it affected the children in the family when four days later on the 14th day, daddy said, guys, come around here, sit down, man. I got something to tell you. You know, we got this goat for a particular purpose. This is a perfect goat. And, uh, He's going to be a goat of sacrifice for us. And then they told the story. They told the story uh, as the years went by and the, the uh, uh, centuries went by of what happened. But that first night, I said, guys, let me tell you what's happening. We're going to take a little goat. I know you like little goaty. Maybe they gave him a name, and maybe his name was Herbie or, you know, you, you name the favorite name you have for an animal. Uh, we're going to take him, and uh, just before the sun goes down, we're going to kill him. And we have to save some of his blood. So, so daddy's going to have to do this. And we're doing it for the whole family. But here's what you need to understand. This goat's going to save our life. So what's going to happen, daddy? The children may say, well, um, God told Moses that a, a death angel's coming. And all of the firstborn of animals and, and, and uh, families here in Egypt, they're going to die. There's an angel coming by, an angel of death. And the firstborn are going to die except except for people who kill, a goat, kill the goat, kill a goat, and then take the blood and paint it on the posts on their front porch and over the lintel over their door. And God told Moses that when the death angel comes, he sees the blood, he'll pass over our house, and, 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 and maybe you named his son, you won't die. Nobody in our household will die. But this little goat right here, he's going to have to give his life so that won't happen. Otherwise, he named his firstborn's name. Uh, you know, John, you're going to die. Fred, you're going to die. Without this goat dying, you're going to die. Can you imagine the quietness in that house? Imagine what the kids were thinking, looking at each other, looking at the parents, looking at the little goat that's had so much fun with, became endeared to for four days. 
And then daddy said, go bring the knife. The sun's getting really low. It's time. And all of the families all at one time took the little goat they had in their family for one day, uh, for four days, slit his throat, poured the blood in a vial, kept it. And then they had a big fire going outside in the yard. And they took the little goat that they had played with for four days. And they probably hung it by its legs and put it on a stick, you know, rotisserie style. Uh, roasted with his entrails still within it and roasted that little goat over the fire. Can you imagine the kids crying? Oh, Daddy, you got to do that. I have no choice, son. The daughter said, Daddy, really? Why, this is so mean. There's no other way. If this goat didn't give his life, John's going to die. Firstborn's going to die. Has to be. Is there no other way? There is no other way. Has to be. And they watched as the little goat that was slain. His blood was put in a vial in a container. They watched it roast with fire until its meat was prepared, his meat was done. And then dad said, okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to eat this. Eat until you're full. Eat until you can eat no more because we have to take this goat and we have to burn its entire body until there's nothing but ashes left. Oh, daddy, oh, daddy. You have to understand. Without this goat giving his life, Little Johnny, firstborn, is going to die. Can you see it? Can you feel the impact of the family? And then they, and then they sat down. The, the, the goat had been killed. The goat had been roasted. And then it's, okay, we're going to have our last meal. God told Moses, tomorrow we're leaving Egypt. And here's what we got to eat. So I've prepared. Mama said, well, I've prepared some bread for y'all. But it's not the normal bread. There's no leaven in the bread. It doesn't rise. You know, uh, how many like sourdough bread? I eat sourdough bread, but during communion, he said none. It's got to be unleavened. The leaven makes it sour, and so they're used to some really great bread. It smells really good. Got that little bit of dark on the outside of it where it's cooked just right in the oven, but this time, when Mama brought the bread out, it's flat, and the kids said, man, what's up with this bread? It hasn't risen. No, it's unleavened. Well, why didn't you put any leaven in it? It's a whole lot better with the leaven. It's so good. No, no, God said do this. We're going to eat unleavened bread. I know it's flat. It's, it's you know, it, it cracks when you bite it. That's what God said do. This leaven represents. This, this, this bread lepre, represents, represents something very significant to us. And, uh, and they did what God said. And then, then Mama said, I got one other thing. You got to eat every single bit of it. I've got some bitter herbs, some endive. I've got some chicory, some dandelions we pulled uh, there on the plate. I know, you'd, I know they're bitter, but I want you to eat every drop. Oh, really, Mom? Really? The children said, really? Eat every bit of it. And so they're eating their bread, their unleavened bread. There's no salt. There's no flavor. It's not really great. All right? It's not like the saltines that you have with salt on. Oh, no, no. There's nothing on it. It's bland. They're eating the bitter herbs. And they're grimacing. And then they're eating, eat, eating little Herbie the, Herbie the goat. And they're saying, man, really? Really, Mom? Really, Dad? The kids are? I said, God said, do it. And then he said, make sure, make sure while you're eating this, you got your clothes on. Make sure you got your sandals on. Make sure you got your belt on so your britches don't fall down. Because in the morning, we're out of here. God said, We've been living here all of our lives. God said, we're not going to be in Egypt anymore. 
God is setting us free. We've been slaves. We've been making bricks for the Egyptians, but no more. After today, we are free people. What does it mean to be free? Nobody tells us what to do. We're honoring God, and God has a land for us to go to. And we're going to go to that land, and we're going to honor God, and we're going to be free people, free to be who God created us to be, free to let our personalities blossom, free not to, not to have our backs whipped if we don't make bricks just right, and Dad will never come home again angry and upset or bloody because he did something wrong according to his taskmaster. We're going to be free people. Really, Dad? Yes, yes, children, your life is going to change, perhaps dad would say. Your life will never be the same after tonight. And it's all because little Herbie the goat, he decided to get, he, he gave up his life and we took his life. And so sure enough, that night, dad uh, took, the, uh, took a little brush. It looked kind of, uh, kind of gross. Perhaps the children watched as the blood was placed on the doorposts and then on the lintel over the front door. Dad, that's, ooh, that's nasty. That's the goat's blood, really? Got to do it, son. Got to do it, daughter. Got up the next morning, all you could hear was crying in the land of Egypt, crying, wailing. It went out, first, first of all, they got up and the firstborn in every Egyptian home was dead. You could hear the mothers, the father crying. Then they went outside the firstborn of all of their animals were laying on the ground. What happened? Well, somebody said God told Moses something about this death angel thing supposed to happen, and it must have. Look at that. Then they looked over at the Israelites. The Egyptians looked at the Israelites, and nobody was dead. Not one child died. Not one. Not, not one. None of their firstborn of animals except for that one little goat died. You see, that goat was the sacrifice. Do you think that was in, embellished into their thinking the rest of their lives? So every year after the Israelites left Egypt, they retold this story for generations. And now it's been 35 centuries. And every year they tell this story and they go through the Passover feast and they go through uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They understand that that Passover feast gave them life. They understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no freedom. How many hear me? So it's quite an analogy that happened there. They changed the Jewish New Year to be every March or April, and their years have to do with the lunar calendar, not the solar calendar. And so that's the reason that we celebrate Easter, which is for us, we're celebrating uh, the Jewish Passover, really. And it's, it's according to the... To the um, uh, to the movements of the moon, not the sun. So it's different every year, and that's the reason why. And so, but they started their year. That's really significant. They changed how they do life based on this one feast, based on one thing that God spoke to Moses that would completely rejuvenate life and free the Israelites. What a tremendous story. Every time we take communion, we're remembering that night that God spared the firstborn of, of the Israelites as they were in bondage in Egypt. And we are remembering that little lamb, that little goat that gave his life. Leviticus 17, 11, Jesus is the Passover lamb of sacrifice. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the body is in its blood. I've given you blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification 
possible. And then Hebrews 9.22. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So after the Israelites left Egypt and the Red Sea parted, you know the whole story. Some of you may know, the, most of you probably know the whole story. Then after that, God appeared to Moses and he set up a sacrificial system whereby once a year on the Day of Atonement, uh, animal, a, blood, a, 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 a sacrificial uh, lamb was slain and its blood was placed on an altar uh, and, and that blood covered the sins of Israelites once a year. See, it all comes back to this Passover feast. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And God, God, took, God allowed the life of an innocent animal to be given to cover the sins of his people so that they could be free one year. But Jesus came. He's the lamb of sacrifice. He gave his life once for all. And no longer do, do animals need to, be, need, need to be killed. No longer do we do animal sacrifices because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that good news? John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Knowing that you're not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a, a new lump of dough, a new piece of bread, since truly uh, you are truly unleavened without sin. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. So again, and so again, you know, the thing that just sticks out at me was that uh, that goat became really personal to every person in the Jewish household there at the first Passover feast. We have to make Jesus very personal to us. He came personally to me. He came personally to you. And you know, most of us in the room have taken advantage of what Jesus did. And I want to encourage you, every time that I miss the mark, every time I sin, God wants to remind me, I allowed my son to die for you. Your sin is completely forgiven because of a blood sacrifice. We need to remember that every day because we live in a world, they don't value the blood of Jesus. They don't value the sacrifice of Christ. Most people, most Americans particularly, think everybody's going to heaven. But friend, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And without the application of the blood of Jesus to the individual human life, when we die, we will not go to heaven. There is a place in eternity called hell, and there's a place called the lake of fire. Thank God Jesus endured the cross for us. Thank God he died for us.